and like you said, how people who aren't on the margins center themselves in a conversation and in a movement and that was created by and for marginalized people. Capitalism against one another. This scarcity mentality is what causes those who want to co-op, steal work, and try to be something that they're not. Hi everyone, welcome to the Maiden Voyage of the Yoga for All podcast. This is a podcast that has been in the works in my brain for a little while. What I wanted to do is talk to people who have felt underrepresented and marginalized within the yoga community. And I have had so many great experiences to work with and to talk to people who are working with yoga and accessibility, yoga for people of color, you know, yoga for women of color, all kinds of great um, opportunities to share my views on how yoga really is for all of us. Quite recently, I was talking to an excellent friend of mine, Miss Amber Carnes, and I've invited her to come on to the podcast to talk a little bit about what it really means um, to experience yoga for all. What is an authentic experience of accessible yoga? And what is bandwagon jumping? So we've seen a lot going on in the past year or so where accessibility and inclusivity has become a buzzword or has become capitalized. And what does that mean for people who have been doing the work for a number of years? Are these classes or these opportunities really accessible or are we just capitalizing on the work of other people? So I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Amber Carr of Body Positive Yoga. Hey, Amber. Hey, Diane. How's it going? Good. It's good to hear your voice. Thanks for having me on the podcast. You know, I've been meaning to have you on the podcast for quite some time. And I'm going to have you on my other podcast. It's not about me with my friend Alicia. We talk a lot about yoga politics and um, what it means to be inclusive in the world, which is why it's called It's Not About Me. So this is kind of like a little offshoot, you know, a deeper dive into what accessibility and yoga means and the work that you do and the work that we collect. Do. Yes, we collaborate. We co-created the Yoga for All teacher training online course. Yeah, and we've been doing that for, I don't know, three or four years now, right? Yeah, since 2015. Wow, for three solid years rolling up into the fourth year. And I've been uh, talking about yoga and accessibility uh, for a while, since 2012, if you can believe it, when I wrote the, um, the blog post that yoga isn't just for skinny white girls. And I think that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of how this whole body positive accessibility inclusivity journey started for me. I call myself the accidental activist and now I'm here and I'm a full on activist. It's no longer accidental. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Amber, for those of you who may not know who you are. I'm the founder of Body Positive Yoga. I live in Richmond, Virginia, but I travel more than I'm home, it seems like. Um, So I travel all over the place working with yoga practitioners and folks who want to be able to make the practice work for their bodies. It's usually folks who... I like to call us lovingly the yoga misfits. We're too fat, too big, too old, too stiff, too injured, too disabled, whatever, for, you know, to go into a regular studio, um, or at least that's the perception. And so I really like to sort of break down the barriers to wellness that a lot of marginalized people feel by giving folks tools to personalize their practice and really make the practice of yoga work for them, for their unique body, for, you know, making friends with our mind. It's it's all kinds of different ways that accessibility can look. I have a, a membership group called the Body Positive Clubhouse where we uh, work on building confidence and um, embracing the bodies that we're in. Mm. And we do that through the tools of yoga and feminism. Like that's Yay! kind of the, the intersection where um, that work lands. And then I also do a lot of work with studio owners and teachers who want to um, be able to make their spaces more equitable and accessible and welcoming for everyone. And that includes the online course that you and I have, as well as um, workshop intensives. And I'm also running trainings for accessible yoga, which is uh, an excellent disability rights organization. And I have my fingers in a lot of the pies. I love that. Um, I want to give out a a shout out to our friend Jeevana Heyman, who is the organizer founder of Accessible Yoga. So we're both a part of that organization because all of this intersects, right? right? Accessibility, inclusivity, and equity all all actually intersect at the place of yoga. So Amber, I've been noticing a lot going on in the yoga world around accessibility and inclusivity. It seems to me that it's become a buzzword or uh, another way for yoga teachers to generate revenue even if their classes aren't accessible. Have you found this to be the case? What we're seeing here is really how uh, capitalism operates, Mm -hmm. where you have to kind of follow the money. So 
the things that I've seen is uh, outside the yoga industry, people have all also probably who are listening have noticed this, like diet companies mm-hmm. and beauty companies are co-opting the language of body positivity, of self-acceptance, of the fat acceptance movement even because, you know, millennials aren't having it with dieting. <laughs> and so like these companies have to find a new way to sell it to us because, a lot of folks, now that these concepts are becoming more well-known and more mainstream, um, a lot of folks aren't buying the whole, like, you know, change yourself through self-hate thing. So <laughs> those ideas are revolutionary, but then when um, corporations co-opt, you know, a movement that was created by marginalized people for marginalized people, then they co-opt that language and it doesn't you know, come from the same place, like Mm -hmm. trying to profit off of folks um, through the lens of diet culture or fitness, which, you know, a lot of people teaching yoga are really, you know, fitness teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it it becomes like a a different sort of experience than when it is, you know, a revolutionary movement created for and by people on the margins. And what ends up happening is, you know, when it becomes co-opted by corporations, by folks who um, don't have marginalized identities, uh, the the marginalized folks who created these movements so that we could thrive, you know, despite the, the culture that's trying to, to make sure that we don't thrive, um, we get pushed to the margin again. Again, yeah. It's always interesting to me uh, when uh, yoga companies or uh, prominent yoga teachers who have never had any interest in accessibility or inclusivity now center themselves in the middle of the conversation. And they're doing it from a marketing perspective, or they've been called out in the community for their behavior. And I have a hard time taking them seriously when they're like, oh, I'm going to start doing this yoga for all class. Um, I've never been interested in it before. I'm stealing a tagline from somebody else who has been doing the work of yoga for all. So I'm going to piggyback on that success, center myself in the conversation and not give credit to anybody who has been doing the work. And that has been a difficult pill for me to swallow. I have been like, as a woman of color, I always feel that that kind of happens to me almost anyway, that I'll come up with a good idea. I'll share it in a way I I won't take the time to trademark it because I just think people wouldn't steal your work. (laughs) And then um, somebody will just pick it up. And sometimes use my imagery, use my language, center themselves in the conversation, prop it from the conversation, and then move on to the to the next thing. And I remember, not that I'm a big fan of Wendy Williams, I'm really not, but I did see a piece on how that continues to happen when we see people like my biggest pet peeve, the Kardashians, uh, profit off of black culture. So right. I think Kim Kardashian put cornrows in her hair, called it boxer braids, and now this is she's the inventor of boxer braids, even though I've had corn rolls in my hair for longer than Kim Kardashian's been alive. So stuff <laughs> like that always seems to happen when a marginalized group is whatever they're doing to bring themselves to the center of the conversation gets stolen from them. The people who are already at the center of the conversation recenter themselves, and yeah. then everybody gets pushed back to the margins. And that seems to go on continuously. Like, what are we going to do to stop it? Do we have to call it out? I, I mean, I'm I'm okay with naming names in this situation because I really feel like this is it's problematic, and the co-opting of the work of of marginalized folks is it's a big deal. Um, not because we own it, and because we need to like trademark certain words or because we invented body positivity or accessible, you know, spaces or whatever, but because the imbalance of what I like to call like beauty currency or, um, people who fit into the, the thin ideal, the feminine ideal, the ideal masculine body, whatever beauty standard we're talking about are automatically going to have social advantages that oppressed groups or marginalized groups don't. And so when people like um, Sadie Nardini, who I saw today, is doing a body positive fitness course, Mm -hmm. um, when Sadie Nardini has um, continually used the tools of diet culture body shame and her own genetic privilege of the way that she looks and the way that her body looks to, um, to sell fitness and sell, um, yoga, uh, yoga products. 
yoga branded fitness products like yoga shred and Mm -hmm. things like that to people. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, because body positivity is being more mainstream, um, she's doing a body positive fitness course. Hmm. So not only is she, you know, all of a sudden jumping on the bandwagon, um, she's also taking away opportunities for marginalized folks who have really lived experience around um, these concepts from doing the work. So I think that, um, and I've also seen this happen recently with Yoga with Adrian, who mm-hmm. is a very popular YouTube um, person, mm-hmm. has almost 4 million followers on YouTube. Wow. She has her own membership site and all that kind of stuff. She's doing a course called, guess what? Yoga, Yoga for All. Yeah. Which, you know, is your brand in the, the online course that we've been doing for several years. I've seen many, many people in different, you know, yoga markets calling their stuff accessible yoga when, you know, they're, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with the people doing what they're doing, um, like doing their own work. Uh, Yoga with Adrian, you know, is a a fine YouTube channel, but she's never been interested in accessibility. She never talks about modifications or using props to adapt the practice. But now that the conversation in the yoga world is shifting, to body positivity, to um, making things inclusive and accessible, people like uh, Adrian and Sadie, um, and lots of different people who are co-opting um, accessible yoga, which is you know Jivana's program, are are coming out of the woodworks. And I think it's important to talk about like why this is a problem, um, not because like I want to drag these people because they're famous and I'm not. Like right. that's not what it's about. Right. Um, it's not a jealousy thing. It's not any of that. But I think it's important to point out like the cultural context of how this happens. Mm-hmm. And like you said, how people who aren't on the margins center themselves in a conversation and in a movement that was created by and for marginalized people. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when I talk about this, people are like, well, okay, so like thin women aren't ever allowed to talk about body image. Like we feel bad about our bodies too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're allowed to talk about body image. I think that lots of people can benefit from the concepts of body positivity. But I think that it's important to point out that there's a big difference between an individual person feeling badly about their body or having negative body image because the cultural structures of patriarchy and white supremacy and capitalism like do a number on all of us like no one feels that they're good enough you can ask a supermodel to point to her fattest part and she will um but there's a difference between feeling individually bad about your own body and that body being a thin body that generally is deemed good by the culture Mm -hmm. and maybe when you're you know at the beach in a bikini and you're a thin person you still feel bad about your body flaws or your problem areas or whatever or you're self-conscious about eating in public, right? That's different than the lived experience of a marginalized person Mm -hmm. where everyone else in society is looking at their body and thinking those things too, Yeah, right? So it's not remotely the same thing. So I just like to get that out of the way when we have these conversations that like, of course, everyone can benefit from the concepts of body positivity and self-acceptance. And I hope that they do that. But Centering a, a body that benefits from the thin ideal and from, you know, that has the social currency mm-hmm. from looking that way is different than um, a marginalized person in that situation. I think another reason that I find this really problematic is that, you know, like we said, it's sort of bandwagon jumping. Mm-hmm. Like you're hopping onto a trend that you, didn't you know, create. thus far in, in your career, first of all, you didn't create that movement, yeah. but also you've never participated in or wanted to advance that movement or even you've worked counter to that movement if you've been using diet culture you know to your advantage if you've been selling intentional weight loss to people things like that and now you're jumping on because the money is there because you see an opportunity for a new market because um, you want the credibility of being able to say that you're inclusive or accessible And that's very different than, you know, someone who is doing the work because, you know, they come from that identity from a heart of service to other people. Um, It's it's a very different thing. I think that the other thing that really bothers me about this is that folks like the teachers that I mentioned, um, like, you know, anyone who is, uh, and we can step outside the yoga industry and see lots more examples of people 
who are, you know, celebrities, who are um, spokespeople uh, doing the same thing and co-opting this, this language and this movement. Instead of, you know, staying in their own lane mm-hmm. and doing, doing their work and doing the, the things that they're the best at um, in an authentic way, they're really um, co-opting this when they could be using their privilege for good to amplify the work that's already being done by marginalized folks, like, for years and years. I always find that very interesting that we speak of unity and community within yoga culture, but then when we get down to it, there's all this, like, I'm going to take this from this person. Like, how hard is it for somebody who's looking to align themselves with the body positive, you know, community or the fat positive community or the accessibility community saying, hey, I have this huge platform and I know people follow me, but you know what? Check out these other folks who have been doing this work for a lot of years. And if you're curious about accessibility, you should check out, you know, accessible yoga or body positive yoga or, you know, yoga for all. But they never do that. And it really questions um, for me around the yoga concept, how much of your ego is involved if you're willing to steal other people's work, put your name on it, and not really care of the outcome for the people who are practicing? Like in the case of the yoga for all thing, like yeah. if you Google yoga for all, literally the yoga for all training is right there. Yeah. It's not like this person it, or someone that Googles access, accessible yoga is like, hmm, no one's doing this. Guess I better do it. <laughs> right. It's not like Sadie Nardini didn't Google body positive fitness or body positive yoga and see what comes up. Right. My site. Like, <laughs> right. <clears throat> your site. Like, yeah. all of that stuff. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's, it's deliberate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is disturbing to me. I think something else that really is... Um, important to point out is that because the folks who are sort of jumping on this bandwagon um, have beauty currency and have that social capital that marginalized folks don't, it means that they're going to make money off of these movements and this service and this language and these concepts when the people who are the real experts on this stuff, the people like us who have lived the lived experience of marginalized identity, get to stay poor. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, you know, so, like, if you fit the beauty ideal, you're all automatically going to have more followers. You're going to be able to charge more for your workshops. You're going to be seen as an expert in a way that marginalized folks aren't. Yes. Because of the cultural bias against marginalized identities, so against people like, Um, who are disabled, people of color, people who are on the LGBTQ spectrum, people who are fat, um, and all the intersections of those, right? When we start layering those, when you have, you know, a a woman of color who's also fat, like that means like she's going to experience more oppression. Because of the cultural bias against those people, it means that we are seen as less of an expert or Mm -hmm. not taken seriously as someone who does fit the um, beauty ideals or the, you know, aesthetic ideals that the cultural elites value at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then often what I'm seeing is that the people who are co-opting these movements then bring in someone mm-hmm. who's marginalized to lend credibility to, or to yes. make other marginalized yes. people feel safe to yes. attend or their pull program, on their, their retreat, yeah. their festival, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I, because of the cultural bias, they're lent uh, credibility mm-hmm. and an expertise that they didn't earn in the same way that marginalized folks did. Right. And so I, I've definitely heard from people who have participated in different retreats, programs, workshops that were brought by, you know, people who fit that yoga Barbie ideal, um, thin, able-bodied, white, young, all of that stuff, mm-hmm. um, and not have a safe or good or um, affirming experience yeah. because the the person who's presenting that content has, first of all, privilege to not have to see the barriers that, that they might experience. You know, like the person, sh- uh, a fat person shows up to a retreat hosted by a thin person and they can't sit in any of the chairs yes. because they all have arms. They yeah. can't wear the life jacket on the snorkeling trip because the person throwing this retreat like didn't think about that. Yeah. And so they have an experience that's less than, not yeah. to mention, you know, the teaching content, which is going to be very different when it's presented by someone 
who carries that social capital and fits that beauty ideal versus someone who has the lived experience of being a marginalized person and understanding innately what folks go through and is able to serve them in a different way. I think it's really powerful what you just said about social capital. And I, I recently joined a Facebook group and an Instagram page talking about how in particular, women of color within the fitness and yoga industry are never seen as experts. And right. so with the exception of Jessamine Stanley, which I think part of her appeal to is almost a gawk factor. Look at yeah. this big body doing these incredible poses that we only see smaller bodies doing, and it becomes sort of an, an anomaly for people. It doesn't really give... Uh, give the true power or equity of maybe a person who has the beauty capital or social capital that do these things. So there's a group of us talking about how many fitness professionals and yoga professionals are out there who will never have the social credibility or standing of somebody who just graduated from yoga school, who may have been teaching for a couple of years, who looks the part that um, social elitism tells us is perfect and will rise to fame in a matter of moments without having any true education behind it. And it's really, really discouraging in this industry because there's this idea within this industry that's been created as capitalism always creates that there is scarcity. We have to hang on to whatever it is we have and we can't share it. And if we see something that's better, we got to somehow take it from somebody else because we need to be on top. And I'm disappointed because the yoga community teaches the opposite, that we're in this together, that this is about unity. But when it comes down to it, we still operate from this place of scarcity. For people to be taking uh, accessible yoga and using it um, <laughs> to, to build their brand or yoga for all or whatever it is and yeah. not giving credit to the people who've developed it is not what yoga is about. And I, I, I question how they can call themselves yoga teachers when you're generally stealing and you're, t- and you're not being truthful about what you're doing and you're not supporting other yoga teachers. And I honestly saw this. I came up in the Anasara world where there were all these celebrity teachers all the time traveling all over the world. And as if you wanted to become a certified teacher, you had to study so many hours with so many teachers and so many hours with John Brennan, blah, 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 which I look back at it now is pretty much a cash grab. But I remember (laughs) going to this workshop and I've written about it for Yoga International called Magnet to Magnificence. And this was in maybe 2008 or nine. It was right before the fall of John Brennan. And I was the only fat girl. uh, I'm one of the, one of three black women who were at this uh, workshop with like 60 or 70 people crammed into this tiny space. And one thing I hated about Anasara Yoga is we always partnered up and did some kind of partner work that was difficult. So you'd partner up and do handstand or you partner up and do some complicated arm balance. And for me, having a big belly and a big boob and generous thighs and a, you know, a smoking big hot ass could <laughs> not do a lot of these things. And I could never get anybody to partner with me because they saw the fat girl. And they're like, ooh, I don't want to deal with that. I always would try to find a man in the class and try to partner up with a man because I felt like they they had more power in order to deal with a bigger body. But I remember this one time in this Magnet for Magnificence course that was taught by Darren Rhodes, Christina Selm. And Amy Apolity. And I had been a huge fangirling on Amy Apolity for years as part of the Anasara training. She was like somebody I, I held in high regard and until I went to this workshop and we had to do this pose and nobody would partner with me. And I noticed that she was sitting there. So I went over and I asked her if she would help me. And she said to me, I don't want to hurt myself. So I'm just going to kind of stand over here and kind of tell you what to do, but I don't want to help you is essentially what she said. And then I was done because that I cried that entire weekend. I never felt so alienated. I spent most of my time in the bathroom. I started crying 15 minutes into this workshop. I had flown from Windsor, Ontario, all the way to Tucson, Arizona, two time zones away. I had dragged my kids who were like three and five with me. My husband had to take a week off work. And I sat in that workshop and cried my lungs and eyes out because I just couldn't contort my body into these shapes that were expected in order to um, ascend to magnificence. That it was never about philosophy and it was never about, you know, your body is good as it is. We can do this. Well, your body doesn't do this. Therefore, you're some kind of failure it, I, or I'm not a magnet for magnificence. I mean, I, I did. I wrote about it in Yoga International and I, it's just the hardest experience ever. But now those teachers can get to um, jump on the bandwagon of 
uh, body positivity and not have that experience of being alienated in a class. And that makes me kind of sad because I can speak to that person who sat in the corner and cried on their mat because they're supposed to wrap their elbow around their ear. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and they're, and they're, the, the size of their arm doesn't allow them to do that. The size of their chest doesn't allow them to do that. And nobody gives a shit. We all just let that person sit in the corner. And, and, and I see it happen time and time again. I've seen it happen with many senior teachers within the Honest Hour world and in, and in other things. And now all of a sudden those same teachers get to jump on the body positive bandwagon and talk to me about being body positive. And that bothers the shit out of me. Okay. If you're listening to this and you are a thin person, you're a person that hasn't experienced uh, marginalization because of the way you look, because of your ability, because of your age, um, you know, we're not saying like you're evil inherently, but what we want you to right. do is use the privilege that you have for good. And so I want to talk about like the, what can somebody who has that social capital and that currency of beauty ideal, um, what can they do about, about this and what can they do to use their privilege for good? And then I think we should also talk about like, what is a, if, if this is what um, we're worked up about because accessible yoga and yoga for all and body positivity has been co-opted, like what does that genuine experience look and feel like so that folks can seek it out? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So what can I do as, some, as someone with that social currency because of your appearance? Um, the first thing I would say is like use that privilege for good by amplifying the work of marginalized folks who are doing this work. Um, because as we've discussed, like you're automatically going to be conferred some privilege and some status that we're not mm -hmm. just because of the way you look, whether that's fair or not, it's, it's usually not fair. And so, uh, amplify the work of, of marginalized folks, you know, share our events, share, uh, our podcast, share all the things that we're creating and have been creating for years, along with, you know, the work that you do, uh, use that platform that you have to talk about things like the privilege that you have doing this type of work to talk about the fact of systems of oppression like white supremacy and capitalism and diet culture and patriarchy talk about the way that those operate talk about like where you fit in in that um system you know i have i have a lot of privilege that you don't have diane because i have white skin and you don't Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to call that stuff out when you are doing this type of work. Um, and like it or not, for the people who are jumping onto the body positivity bandwagon, you are now a social justice advocate. So you need to get on that train fully yep. and understand that if you're going to profit from the pathway that marginalized folks have paved for you, Body positivity started in the 60s and 70s with fat acceptance, and yeah. it was all done by marginalized folks, by fat folks, by queer people of color who started these movements. And, you know, we have paved the way for y'all to be able to even do this work. Talk about where you fit in into that equation. You know, I see a lot of people talking about these concepts like they invented them. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not yeah. true. None of us that are talking on this podcast or any of the people who invented are this. making these programs invented this. Like yeah. we are all standing on the shoulders of the folks who are marginalized that created these movements. So like I think it's important to be honest about the privilege that you have to use that privilege to amplify the work of marginalized people and especially to credit people. If you're using ideas, you know, anybody can like put together a workshop on body positivity by taking like 20 minutes to Google some things right. and you can create your outline and your syllabus by, you know, pulling articles off the internet that folks have written um, from their lived experience. Yeah. But credit that, like talk about where this work comes from. Talk about the people who have um, created these things and make sure that you aren't stealing something that's not yours. Yeah. You know, sometimes folks just need to like stay in your lane and do your own work. Yeah. You know, I think that it's important that you brought up the fact that capitalism pits us against one another and it also creates a scarcity mentality that if we see someone having any type of success, whether mm -hmm. that's likes or followers or just a, a sense of popularity or through credibility, because yeah. often like we as marginalized folks like that are doing radical work, we don't have the, you know, the critical mass of followers like other people, but we, we're cool. Yeah. <laughs> we're, crea we've we're done creating, the work. we're creating the culture. And, and we've done the we're work. Putting, 
yeah, we've done the work and we're putting something original out there into the space. And so um, this scarcity mentality is what causes folks to want to co-opt and steal work and try to be something that they're not. And yeah. so I think it's important to debunk that. There is room enough for all of us to do the work that we want to do and be able to participate in this space. Mm -hmm. And if that means that like you should stick with what you're good at and what you know natural gifts that you can put into the world and maybe you don't get to be a social justice advocate because like you haven't actually had any barriers to anything because yeah. of the the social capital that you have that's okay like amplify the work of the people that are doing that stuff because they have the lived experience and stay in your lane and cr create the stuff that you that you are good at and that comes naturally to you. I don't think it's like everyone has to be doing, you know, whatever the latest trend is or jumping on the bandwagon. I think it's fine for us to understand where our strengths lie. I'm not trying to jump out there and be like a hot vinyasa teacher <laughs> because that makes a lot of people a lot of money yeah. or that that's what the population expects. That would be ridiculous because yeah. I don't resonate with that type of practice. It doesn't come naturally to my body. I don't believe that it serves a lot of the people who are coming to me in the best way that it can. So why would someone who, you know, isn't uh, a marginalized person try to like almost take on this identity that they see a bandwagon that they can jump on? Mm -hmm. Like when it's fine for them to like the world needs the hot vinyasa teachers too. Mm -hmm. um, and there are people who will be served by that. So like, Sometimes it's okay just to stay in your lane. <laughs> yeah, and I think most times it's best if we just stay in our own lane, right? Right. What does yoga for all mean for you, Amber? For me, it really means that, well, first of all, I think it's good to get clear on definitions of um, words. So first of all, we have to decide what yoga means. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I think that a lot of times, um, I think that what, like, in the Western world, in America, and I know you're in Canada, but it's a similar environment. North. Let's just say North America. In, in, North, in North America. America. <laughs> yeah, for people that are practicing yoga, quote unquote, in North America, a lot of times what that means is, Going to a fitness class yeah. where we say an inspirational quote at the beginning and ohm and say namaste at the end. And if it's a fitness club, we're probably not oming. It's probably That's not. right. Yeah. Like if it's yeah. in a gym, we're not even going to do that. Yeah. So I think it's important to differentiate between um, yoga asana and like the, the fitnessy, postural, physical part of yoga and capital Y yoga as a whole as a spiritual discipline and like a way to do the world and a, a, a lens for participating in the world and yeah. interacting with other people. And so to me, you know, in my experience, the, the parts of yoga that are the most profound and that can is sort of where the magic happens isn't the, you know, 90 minute sweaty hot vinyasa class. Like that's fun to like experience your body that way. I love yoga asana and mindful movement for like a tool to get into the physical body because for a lot of us who are marginalized, um, we have sort of ignored our physical body mm -hmm. for a long time. Because yeah. when, we're, when you're in a body that's the opposite of what society says is worthy or good, it can be a really painful place to like fully inhabit that yeah, body. For sure. Um, so I think asana as a tool is super important for people to be able to get back in there and have a positive experience of their physical body where maybe they haven't had that ever or since they were a small child. But I think it's important that like to know about the rest of yoga too. And so I think that um, bringing in the, the, the more subtle practices of yoga, like meditation, like pranayama, um, looking at the yamas and niyamas, like a way to um, interact with the world and observe, you know, um, things in ourselves are, are very crucial. And I think yoga for all means that everyone is going to be invited to participate in the practice um, in any of those practices, whatever we're doing in this, in a space that we're creating and not only be invited, but be accommodated. Because right. I think that it's, um, I see this a lot in, you know, studios, advertising and class descriptions, or it's like, everyone is welcome or like all bodies, levels and abilities welcome. But then you show up mm -hmm. and it is so not mm -hmm. welcome for yeah. all bodies and levels. Your heart might be in the right place with that. It's important that if someone shows up to your space, that you can actually accommodate them. Yeah. Not only in the physical space, like can they actually get into the room where you're practicing? Mm -hmm. um, and that, that includes financial accessibility. That includes 
uh, access to the physical space, but can they, are they going to be able to have an experience where they feel like they're part of that class or community and that they were actually able to participate in the practice, that they aren't in the corner crying or yeah. running off to the bathroom yeah. or look, sitting in the parking lot watching people walk in who don't look like them and deciding that yoga is wrong for mm. them and their body is wrong for yoga. This is a long answer to your question, but <laughs> yoga for all for me really means that not only are we welcoming everyone to the practice, but we're able to accommodate them when they get there. And if that means, you know, that you have a plan for teaching that day and someone shows up with, you know, a disability or uh, who's pregnant or maybe who um, has, you know, an injury they're recovering from, are you just going to like pretend that person isn't there or are you able to shift gears and create a class experience that feels cohesive to everybody who's in the room? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I've spent many a, a yoga class. Uh, sitting in the corner crying. And um, I, you know, I spent many yoga class when I go to a yoga class as a participant, it's hard for me. If I'm in a class where somebody is struggling, and watching the teacher pretty much not know what to do, which is why we created the yoga for all class so that that experience doesn't have to continue happening. I've even been to the point where I've seen somebody struggling, and I've been kind of pulled out of my own practice. And I'm like, listen, uh, this can can you put weight here? Okay, try doing this instead. And then I feel like I've disrespected the teacher because now I'm also teaching this class. But I can't, you know, my yoga is in service. So yoga for all means to me to be in service to everyone, not to just Uh be in service to the people who are able to do what they're able to do. Um, That's yoga for all means that I go uh, into the park downtown where and I do a free class or I do a donation class or I partner with... um, a company downtown that's helping people who are struggling in my city and I teach a free yoga class um, that because that gives them access or I teach them how they can do yoga on their own in case they you know that there isn't a class around for them to to be a part of it also means that wherever I teach yoga it's um, accessible that means a wheelchair can come there that means that they have access to the bathroom um, it's not only you know grabbing the props and, and figuring out the poses it's creating the space where we learn that all bodies are good bodies and anybody can come to this practice. And I had a really empowering experience this past week because, as you know, I'm writing a book and it'll be coming out in March. And I got to work with so many different kinds of bodies. And I just thought to myself, if you're a teacher that doesn't have the ability to do all these things, A, I think you're missing out because it's the most rewarding experience for me in the world to help somebody find themselves in the practice that they thought was not for them. Yeah. But you can always, if, if this is not your path or your passion, that's okay. Able-bodied people who are flexible and strong also need yoga for, for whatever right. reasons. So you can partner with these other people, right? And say, listen, I don't do this. But my friend so-and-so does this, and I think she would be a great yoga teacher for you. And I just think this uh, this mentality of hoarding everything doesn't represent all of us, right? It also is, yoga for all is also a mindset. It's about community. It's about looking past your own privilege. It's about not being greedy. It's about really seeing everyone. And that's what it means for me. And I think you touched on a lot of that. And I'm just, I get so overwhelmed and so disappointed the more that the stuff comes up in my feed where people aren't actually doing it because they love humanity. They're doing it because they want to line their pockets or build their brand. And that makes me sad. You know, when you were talking about some teachers, like not being able to uh, work with folks in all bodies, it's like, I understand that most 200 hour yoga teacher trainings don't prepare teachers, first of all, to teach like any group class, but but in particular to teach folks who um, are disabled, who are in a larger body. Um, who are older, like those times when the asana practice really has to change. And so like, I understand that. And I, that that's the reason why I think it's so important for marginalized folks that are creating this work and doing this work to be amplified because no one taught us how to do this either. We literally had to figure out, okay, if I'm going to get into this twist, I have to move my belly out of the way. Like a thin teacher is not going to probably has even the imagination to know to tell a student to do that because they've never had to live in the experience of that body. Yeah. Um, a teacher who doesn't have a disability isn't going to be able to understand how to talk about the sensation and the way to feel something 
in a way that someone who doesn't have the use of their legs is able to feel that mm-hmm. energy. You know, Matthew Sanford is a, a great example of that. Like he's paralyzed from the chest down, but he talks about, you know, the way that energy moves through the body. And like, I've never experienced that yeah. because I'm not someone who's paralyzed. Like that's a completely different experience for someone with a disability who comes to Matthew Sanford's class um, yeah. versus coming to a class with someone who's never experienced what it's like to be paralyzed or to have to use a wheelchair because you can't walk. You know, can people who aren't fat teach a yoga class for bigger bodies? Of course. Can people who don't have a disability teach a class for disabled people? Yes, of course. But the the intention, the the lived experience that and the extra credibility and the way that marginalized folks can serve in that capacity if they choose to do so is like such a powerful thing mm-hmm. because representation matters mm-hmm. like is super important um you know we have a this like primal way of humans of, of knowing you know where we belong um can we look around and see folks that look like us right like we have these visual cues. Like, you know when you've walked into a biker bar, right? <laughs> because that's sort of my favorite example of this because, like, there are visual cues that everyone has, you know, they have an outfit, they yeah. have a mode of transportation, yeah. they have a way about them. Like, if you walk in and you're not part of that group, you automatically know. And yeah. so there's something to be said for being able to walk into a yoga class. Like, I've never um, walked into a yoga class in any given studio and had a teacher who looked like me. Yeah. I've, I've yeah. never had a fat teacher unless I specifically like sought that out. Yeah. You know, as, as a person of color, I'm sure like you could say never. something similar about never. like not having a black teacher. And so, yeah. Unless I, like you um, said, unless I seek them out, like, unless you, know you I mean? seek them out. Yeah. And so like by and large representation in the yoga world is still conforming to, um, the beauty standards and the the aesthetic ideals that the culture at large has. And so when we are, you know, when we grow up as marginalized folks, only seeing that yoga Barbie image projected to us as what wellness looks like, then we grow up thinking we're not well. Can yeah. we ever be well? Like those spaces, those practices are not for me. I need to change to look like her before I can go there. Like all of those things that that those messages send to us. And so when we finally are able to see someone that looks like us thriving, practicing wellness, you know, doing uh, everything from, you know, yoga practices to meditation to, you know, eating foods that we think are only, you know, rich, healthy people eat or whatever, like defying those stereotypes. It's very powerful. It's powerful to see those, um, those images and see ourselves reflected in those contexts. And so I think that, you know, don't underestimate the power of showing up and taking up space as, you know, someone who's marginalized in these, um, in wellness spaces, especially because we're not looked at as the image of wellness because, you know, marketing and capitalism can sell products if they show people who represent that thin ideal. And so, even though that might not always be like what wellness looks like, you know, I know lots of people who I would say are thriving and who have a life that's very based in and concerned with wellness who don't look like yoga, yoga Barbie, yeah. but they're not going to be shown to us by the mainstream media. Like we have to seek that out ourselves. It's true. Mainstream media is really um, focused on aspirational marketing. And I've said this before. Uh, the problem with aspirational marketing is there's an ass in it, right? There's somebody <laughs> who's not, who, who doesn't have a full picture. Like aspirational marketing, aspirational marketing is, is just asinine. Mm-hmm. Show us something that is achievable and real and I can relate to. I'm more likely to be ta- drawn in around something like that as opposed to something that looks like, that, as opposed to an image that makes me feel bad about myself. Yeah, I think so too. And I think there's also a certain amount of like self-study and work that it takes to get to that place, totally. right? Because we're totally. socialized from the time that we're babies, yeah. right, um, to to have... Uh, a preference for the thin ideal and for white skin and for able bodies and all that kind of stuff through media, through, um, 
you know, cartoon. I mean, I just saw the I just saw the movie Fatitude, which if you have a chance to see it, you should go. There's screenings all over the place. Okay. And the the movie starts out with uh, talking about like the media that's shown to children. Yeah. And they showed like I don't know dozens of like Disney villains, and they're all fat. fat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! I was just like, of course, bias starts like as soon as you come out of the womb and yeah. you're able to like see things. Yeah. And so um, I think that you know to get to a place where we do associate those images with a positive um, regard, and we yeah. want to seek out images of people that look like us who are thriving, yeah. is is really radical. And so. Um, because we're all constantly swimming upstream. So that aspirational marketing, I think, you know, a lot of times we convince ourselves that we could attain that yeah. because of this sort of American um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can become <sighs> anything you want to be if I'm you tired. try hard enough. I'm tired of that narrative. Let me just tell Like you. individualistic mm-hmm. ideal mm-hmm. that we tell ourselves like, that's why we go on the 54th diet when yeah. it hasn't worked any of the other 53 times yeah. because we convince ourselves because of messages from society that if we just tried a little harder, you could look like Yoga Barbie. You could, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you could lose that weight. Mm-mm. You could become rich if you only tried a little harder. Right. When in reality, that ignores the systems of oppression that are in place. It ignores the cultural context yeah. of of the way that marginalized folks have to like participate in the world. And especially when we turn to things like the fitness industry, which I think I would include yoga in if we're yeah. talking about yoga in the West. Yeah. Um, so looking at those contexts, I think is, is important. It's brilliant. And it's the only way that we can get a really um, honest picture of how the world works. I was recently in a conversation about a Netflix TV show called Insatiable, uh-huh. um, where we have a thin actress wearing a fat suit. And I don't ever think that anybody wearing a fat suit has a positive outcome in a story when a thin person wears a fat suit. Yeah. And they got a lot of flack before the show even aired. And there was a lot of pushback on social media from people who aren't part of the, you know, uh, the fat community saying, well, why don't you give this a chance? And why are you already, you know, criticizing it? You haven't even seen it yet but I mean now that it's on it's the same old trope your life sucks as a fat person how dare you be fat now you lose weight and you're hot everybody loves you your life is better we already have heard that fucking narrative a million times how about we have a story arc where people learn to love and accept themselves exactly as they are and that fat person is thriving and that society changes its feelings around you know, people who are in fat bodies. It is not a crime to be fat. There is nothing wrong with being fat. And these continuative narratives only add to the the oppression of anybody who feels that way. And it's always, you know, it's always, it, it's always a thin character in a fat body that is dying to get out. That is always the fucking narrative. And yeah. at what point do we stand up and push back? Now, it got a rating of two or three on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's getting a lot of flack now that people have seen it. And I'm glad that we're in a, con- we're in a place where we're speaking up about these things. But for the producers and the actresses and everybody who was involved in that, whole um, show, how could you not know it was problematic? Are you not paying attention to what's going on in the world? People still aren't listening on a lot of levels. And it's time that we actually look at how we contribute to the oppression of others. And even as a person of color, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I also participate in white supremacy because I've been conditioned to participate in white supremacy. So even those of us with the best of intentions really need to examine how we show up in the world and how we show up for others and what it means to speak up and center those of us who are pushed to the margins. And you have to ask yourself. And, you know, as, as Amber and I talk about talk out about all the things that we're seeing in the yoga community. Again, I just want to remind you, it's not because we're jealous. It's not because we're, we're angry. It's because somebody has to say something, right? Like this can't continue. And I think it's important that we call up, call in, call out, however you want to word it, this type of behavior, because that's the only way it changes. Like I thought about whether or not I want to name names about this stuff. And I I think that it's important to do it. Not, not because I just want to drag them because I'm jealous. Like I think that that's a reaction that I have gotten before when this kind of thing happens, but because like, if we don't start pointing out like the cultural context that surrounds when stuff happens like this, like it's just going to keep happening. 
And I think that in the yoga world, especially, there's a tendency towards spiritual bypass. Yes, which totally. what, that sound, what that sounds like is, Amber and Diane, stop being so negative. Can't you just focus on the positive? Oh, like, my God. Can't you just send love and light to right. people who are doing this? And Namaste. just, like, concentrate, keep your eyes on your own page. Like, I, I don't think, like, I'm going to call bullshit on that because <laughs> yoga is not about ignoring um, the problems of the world. It's not about doing practices so that we can feel personally better and take care of ourselves and ignore everything that's going on around us. Mm. Like an important part of the yoga practice is self-study. And that includes, like you said, looking at where do we participate in these systems of oppression, both like toward ourselves in Mm -hmm. our own internalized oppression and towards others. And how can we start to change that? And if, you know, people are, you know, who knows what the intention behind these um, these classes are, right? That people are, you know, stealing work and co-opting language and all of that. Maybe the intention really is a heart of service. But I think it's important to say, like, if that's what's behind this, then what about, like, looking at the people who are already doing this work and making sure that they're invited, credited, or amplified in this process. And, you know, also really calling out, like, the, the context of where this happens. You know, it's not um, other marginalized people who are stealing our work. Ever. No, it, no, it never is. And on that note, I think that's a great place to leave it. Um, I want to thank Amber for coming on the podcast and talking about what's going on in the yoga world and how we amplify the voices of those of us who have been continually pushed to the margins. And I think this podcast serves as an opportunity for our own self-reflection, our own self-study. So those of us who may have been named in the podcast, um, if you have any feelings around that, we're open to hearing those feelings. I'm going to invite people to comment below, to like and subscribe and share the podcast. We have to have a real conversation about what's going on in the world because that's the only way things change. And keeping our head in the sand and pretending these things aren't happening or um, unknowingly participating in these things just continue to perpetuate them. So we're here for change. And yoga for all means all of us. Thanks, Amber. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. Oh, if anybody wanted to catch up with you, where could we find you and what are you doing? So um, I lead workshops and retreats and trainings all over the place. Um, You can find everything at bodypositiveyoga.com or you can search Amber Carnes on all the social networks, um, Body Positive Yoga on YouTube, but I think I'm Amber Carnes everywhere else. And uh, that's where my stuff is. And also uh, join Diane and me for the Yoga for All training training this October. So we'll be opening registration on October 1st. um, And it's a great opportunity to to become certified like if you do want to be able to have you know spaces that are accessible to really have a class that truly means yoga for all you know come get some tools to add in your toolbox that's a, a really great way to do that so absolutely okay until next time everybody we'll catch you later